So, Srinath, uh, you know, we were, in the previous segment, we were talking about, uh, you know, cargo being replaced and how there could be security. And we talked about, uh, you know, a digital or, or uh, using today's technology, IoT and uh, GPS and so on, how could there be security? Uh, you know, the, the Singapore company's name came back to my mind, Ascent Solutions. Uh, Ascent Solution is the name of the company which which provides these for the high cargo. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, you know, move to, to some of the, uh, you know, other issues in uh, major geopolitical events uh, which are, you know, impacting, which have impacted trade-related matters in the recent years. Uh, three that come to my mind. I mean, we'll you know we'll have a separate question on the pandemic, uh, which you also you know sort of alluded to in the in the early part. Uh, three things that come to top of my mind, and we could you could uh, you know elaborate on each of them. One was the trade war between China and the USA. Second was Brexit EU, and the third was RCEP. Right. So, in terms of relevance and importance to trade finance, I leave it to you to pick and, uh, you know, uh, talk about, uh, you know, uh, any of the three, all the three and so on and so forth. Uh, sitting where we are in Singapore, that's basically being outside US and outside China. Mm -hmm. uh, the trade war was wholly disruptive. Yep. Um, it, uh, it disturbed supply chains. Uh, it caused delays in deliveries of goods. Mm -hmm. It, of course, led to higher costs uh, at the consuming level. Right. Uh, one of the good outcomes, of, perhaps, was uh, the realization on both sides that there needs to be a re rebalancing. Definitely on the Chinese side, there's been some recognition of that, is what I believe. But uh, overall, uh, the sledgehammer approach of increasing customs duties, import duties, and using that as a lever to reduce uh, flows uh, of trade, uh, I think was backward and uh, wholly disruptive, very, right. very detrimental. Right. One of the outcomes was that some companies uh, fearing that uh, there will continue to be tension between uh, uh, the US and uh, China for the long term have already moved some of their supply chains out. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, I choose to believe that uh, the reason why they have done it is not has been triggered so much by the trade war between the US and China, but because costs were getting higher in China. In China, true, true. And there were, of course, cheaper sources uh, available. So we talk, we hear a lot about uh, some of these uh, manufacturing and uh, value addition operations moving to places like uh, Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah, yeah. Which, at least uh, from a China plus one, right? It's not that they are hollowing yeah. out of China, but China plus one. At least. But uh, Singapore uh, in particular would have, uh, has in fact suffered mm. because of this. It's, it's wholly unwelcome, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the disruption. So mm -hmm. um, not a good thing overall. And I don't know to what extent America has benefited from it. Yeah. Apart Question from, uh, apart from, uh, you know, creating the wrong type of waves in the global markets. Uh, overall, I don't believe they've really benefited from it. Uh, as far as Brexit is concerned, that is another uh, event. When, uh, when I think about Brexit, uh, before that, there was discussion about whether uh, Scotland should go independent. 
Correct. And I have a personal, uh, shall we say, affection for Scotland because my daughter studied in Edinburgh. Okay. So I used to visit Edinburgh very frequently and uh, I still go there for holidays as frequently as I possibly can. It's probably once a year mm -hmm. under normal circumstances, but now, of course, it's much longer than that. Right. And so I have friends there and uh, Scottish people who would ask me, you know, what do I think as, a, mm. as somebody, a complete outsider? Right. And I said, look, in the world that we live in, you know, mm -hmm. we, we talk about globalization. Mm. And uh, yes, globalization is not a popular term in every quarter. Right. Because it has led to deep divides in society uh, where some have hugely benefited and then many have been completely displaced. But the world is become with the advent of the internet age is going to get more connected, absolutely uh, more collaborative, and it is you have to stop thinking parochially. Exactly. Uh, and I said uh, going forward, uh, I don't think it will serve Scotland's interest to be not part of the UK mm -hmm. uh, because UK brings its benefits. Uh, it has its heft in the world affairs and, and the economy, finances the role of London as a financial center, as a business center. So at that point, I had suggested that I would, if I were Scottish, I would vote for Remain right. uh, within the UK. And uh, results turned out that way. So I heaved a sigh of relief that it turned out that way. And then Brexit happens. Right. Uh, so on the one hand, I do understand the emotions of uh, certain uh, parts of the British community which believe that they would not like to be ruled out of Brussels. Mm -hmm. They want their independence. Uh, it's interesting that the British think like that. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> you spoke the exactly history. what I was going to react. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's history. Uh, but uh, the point is that, uh, you know, in this day and age, we should be getting closer to other regions, other parts of the world, not far, away. and uh, not trying to separate ourselves. So, um, I'm—I uh, don't think Brexit was a was a great move. <laughs> Ultimately, the world will sort itself out. Britain will sort itself out. There are some initial teething troubles in terms of the channel trade that's going on right now. There are uh, problems in terms of uh, visas that will be required by certain uh, citizens to move into the other country. The free movement of people from the EU to the UK will now be right, uh, right. stopped or restricted or whatever will be controlled. So uh, from a very small scale perspective, yes, it might appear that the benefits are good, but long term, big picture. Uh, again, I don't believe Brexit is the best way forward best. for uh, the United Kingdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, so. so is there Something, anything else I missed there? Yeah, we'll we'll come to that. But uh, you know, uh, you've given us a good you know macro view on uh, you know how the uh, reconfiguration of the supply chain is taking place in the east, and probably in some cases they may be even be uh, reshoring that is pulling some businesses back. But like first have been the 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 you know China plus one kind of a thing. Uh, the also you talked about uh, reorganization of some of the businesses, you know, as an impact of uh, impact of those. So those got. I just wanted to ask you, and it, if if it is there is no impact, then you can say and let we can move on. Uh, but before we come out of this topic, just wanted to ask you for these two 
uh, are there any specific trade finance kind of related uh, implications i guess london's uh, you know if it diminishes as a financial center there would be one you know related to trade finance but what else are there anything related to that or trade finance just has to reconfigure itself and move on and uh, well i'm i'm not sure whether uh, brexit uh, changes london's position as a trade finance center that's not clear to me as yet okay uh, in certain aspects of the financial sector's dealings, yes, uh, you need to be domiciled in the EU in order to be able to deal with EU clients. Uh, but trade finance, I am, as I said, not clear whether that sort of change is going to occur. Right. Okay. Uh, and the fact is that London is such a large uh, base for trade finance that... Uh, That's why I asked the question, to, yeah. Although there are very other very important uh, locations for trade sure. finance like sure. Geneva, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, sure. Paris. Sure. Uh, so this, uh, despite all that, I, I overall, if there's going to be this separation, it will have some impact, at least in physical terms, flow, flows of goods and services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, there could be an impact on the trade finance opportunities out there, but we don't see it as yet. Uh, life goes on as usual, and uh, banks are, uh, are are watching, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, before they decide one way or the other which way to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess it all depends on how important European business is, right, for them, and um, the type of uh, connectivity that Europe provides them to other parts of the world or wherever True. they are from. So. True. True, true. One more, uh, you know, the, the third one, other than um, China, US, as well as Brexit EU, was uh, do you think RCEP, which happened, uh, you know, more in our backyard in Singapore, uh, has that, uh, uh, would, would, would uh, trade finance be impacted? Trade in general can be impacted, but anything else that would uh, benefit uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, the countries in the region from a well, trade finance uh, perspective? Hopefully, positively, mm -hmm. uh, with more trade occurring. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were just talking about Brexit and we were talking about the America first policy or the China-US trade war. That's moving in one direction and completely the opposite direction is our CEP. Correct. Uh, which is looking to open borders, do more trade, do more, mm -hmm. have more relationships. So mm. uh, all told, that should have a positive impact uh, on trade finance generally, is what mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the big story is that India is not part of the RCEP. Right. And uh, yes, there are economic and political considerations for that, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in light of the current crisis, the farmers' crisis that we are witnessing mm -hmm. uh, happening in India. So right. that's a sector that uh, clearly has to be there. there their future has to be taken into account when India positions itself as part of a uh, right. multi-country agreement. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, India becomes part of our CEP as soon as possible, mm -hmm. whenever that is feasible, whenever the more uh, wiser people in the world decide that's the right thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Because... Uh, you really can't exclude yourself from these arrangements because you then s allow for the setting up of barriers. Right, right. And uh, that is all in all not a great thing to do. So that's really where it is. And so the impact again is not visible right now. It's too soon. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, the RCEP on its own, I think, will be good for trade finance. So yeah, that's that's good to hear. So so you would say that like if the countries which are out of it or chose to be out of it, um, um, when when you know these kind countries within the RCEP, they would think about trading. You know, considering which countries to be you know relocate their businesses or to do some other trading, they would choose one which is within the area, right? Or even those from outside, from Europe or something. And, you know, they would choose to be uh, routing their businesses through one of the RCEP countries rather than one which is outside, right? To, to address the uh, Asia I'm, Pacific and, yeah. Purely from a trade perspective, uh, I think the benefits are predictable. Sure. Uh, but investment flows, uh, uh, and uh, future expansion, internationalization. Uh, these are things uh, I'm really not equipped to speak about because again, it's too early. Sure, sure, sure. And I haven't read uh, chapter and verse of the RCEP. I'm just relying on public Fair reports enough. of it. Sure. Uh, but uh, again, every country has its own pattern of trade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, India for a long time was focused uh, on the West. Right. Western markets, then uh, when the Middle East started waking up and becoming very prominent with the Indian diaspora expanding to that part of the world, right. uh, that was uh, something that grew in significance in terms of India's trade. Uh, then, uh, of course, oil has always been flowing from the Middle East to India. Then Africa has been traditionally a very low-key uh, trade that uh, India has had. Uh, even now, uh, China makes waves in Africa. Uh, big, big uh, landmark projects uh, that are very uh, noticeable. India has, uh, uh, in, uh, India's relationship with Africa has been far more low-key. Mm -hmm. uh, and I see the big difference is that uh, China's push is government-driven, whereas exactly. India's push has been private sector-driven. So individuals have been, uh, you know, going out. Of course, uh, we also have uh, Indian government companies and the Exim Bank, uh, intervening with their own uh, facilities, etc. But all in all, China is the one that really makes the biggest splash. Right. Um, and I guess uh, I'm thinking, I'm speculating here, India might have at some point considered, why don't we do something comparable with China? China? And uh, probably India has decided that, uh, no, we'll do things our way because mm -hmm. it works better for us this way rather than doing it or, or uh, copying what uh, China does. So yeah. Yeah. that's really but, where it is. So, you know, uh, let's address, uh, you know, the elephant in the room. <laughs> you alluded to it, the, the COVID pandemic and it's, uh, you know, how has it affected the fortunes of the trading sector? You, you started, uh, you know, you made some observations at the, you know, in, in the previous segment. Um, let's dive a bit deeper into it. I think it's uh, been a very strange year. Mm -hmm. um, speaking for me personally, mm. uh, I did very little of my training business uh, during 2020. Part of the reason was my own miscalculation. Uh, I thought uh, this pandemic will pass earlier than uh, it has uh, prevailed. Mm -hmm. uh, second, uh, I was thinking that uh, delivering training by uh, uh, a virtual means by, by you know being in a remote location and not face to face with a group of people 
will um, impersonalize mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. process of uh, delivering knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I had a few starting problems, but uh, it took me a few months to get over that. And now I fairly routinely actually deliver training um, uh, over Zoom. Right. Uh, the reason I say fairly routinely is because I have some academic engagements sure. here in Singapore where I do face-to-face. -face. So mm. I, I have to wear a shield. Yeah, we all we will do that. Yeah. And uh, keep my distance from the students. Yeah. But it's yeah. in a lecture theater. It's at the university premises, etc. Right. Uh, so it's been that way. It's been in some ways traumatic and in some ways very hopeful. And I think back 2021, there's been a natural sense of optimism about uh, how things will turn out. So I can report that my, my business has revived. So you, you, that's why you probably see a little more relaxed look on my face. <laughs> uh, no, and, and then, and just to add in the context, right? Uh, uh, since uh, you know that uh, you know, um, I also teach in the university. You know, we uh, last year we went completely uh, on Zoom or virtual. Uh, virtual, completely virtual, and you know, teaching uh, fifty students at a time completely. You know, you were your own orchestra. Uh, you know, one man orchestra and ma managing the tech and the and the discussions and. Uh, but but today, not only there is an. Uh, you know certain places we can do it to face to face but there is also this is happening and which is i also feel that maybe the uh, future of things to come is uh, blended which means uh, large classes are obviously like like you know 50 or more people are not allowed in singapore to be in the same place so so those classes are split into two and half the class is virtual and there's a camera there's there on zoom and half the class is in in in, in person so we are uh, you know and you wear the shields etc like you said and we are simultaneously uh, coping with both right and teaching both the the you know so half the class virtually half the class in 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 person and so on and so forth yeah i mean in the training space uh, there are differing uh, requirements sure. some clients require face to face some clients require uh, right. virtual uh, right. some are flexible but anyway uh, going forward, How would I just think, go to the training center they are also yeah. have to juggle these kinds of blended situations going um, forward no, I mean, there, you know, if you've been reading recently in the newspapers, uh, there was an article in the Business Times about uh, the problems in the container trade. Right. Okay. Uh, so there's been a dislocation of containers mm. where, uh, for example, uh, container rates have uh, shot up dramatically in the Far East. Right. Uh, because of a shortage of containers. Mm. And uh, meanwhile, there's a pileup of containers in some of the Western ports. Right. Uh, so supply chain disruptions because of uh, shutdowns, uh, restrictions in people congregating, work processes being disrupted, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a reflection of the impact of the pandemic, right? Uh, which has caused these disruptions. Uh, but speaking more generally, uh, again, it's been a very interesting commentary coming out from different quarters. Uh, mm -hmm. For my friends in the grain trade, yeah. There, some of them have said it is their best year ever. 2020 was their best year ever. Uh, I guess, uh, I don't know whether all of us <laughs> spent our time baking cakes. <laughs> Which, that's why at least good number did. Grain right? volumes went up. We started eating more uh, uh, grain, whatever. Um, so you have uh, cases where the property market has also uh, 
shall we say, uh, shown pockets of um, you know growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, then just look at uh, the Bombay Stock Exchange Index. Mm-hmm. The levels it has reached never before has BSC gone, as I recall, over fifty thousand, and uh, it's traded above fifty thousand. And uh, NSE has also gone to levels that uh, we never imagined. Mm. So is that partly because of the stimulus that uh, that countries has been uh, that countries are giving? Is it because there's greater trading interest? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it's also because uh, corporations have had uh, turned in good results. Uh, so you've you've seen that side of it. That's the positive side. And then you keep hearing about businesses collapsing, uh, putting people uh, out of employment, tragic stories that you hear even in Singapore. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really very difficult to say whether it's been a good, it depends where you are in the spectrum. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, clearly uh, it is something that, uh, that was uh, something we were not prepared for. Right. And, uh, you know, we, you mentioned about the container shortage uh, and uh, that has uh, severely impacted the freight rates for containers. And, uh, in, uh, you know, earlier segment, we talked about the uh, 180 day cycle uh, for, for trade finance and, uh, you know, because that's, you know, essential for the, for the trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, whatever budgeted, uh, you know, would all change. And uh, now the, even the bankers and the, and the borrowers have to sort of sit down and recalibrate and talk it over, right? Yeah, uh, those conversations are also changing mm-hmm. because there are lots of moving pieces. Yeah, uh, Businesses have to re-strategize. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in some sectors, uh, it's easy to contract, but it's not easy to obtain delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some sectors, uh, it's uh, easy to receive goods, but it's not possible to distribute it uh, domestically. Right. So, a lot of changes. And then when it comes to value addition, uh, reconfiguration of supply chains is occurring. There's some reshoring that's happening or closer. The near shoring is happening. Right. Uh, so, uh, we are all reacting to what we see in front of us. Uh, and it's where we're trying to be as responsive as possible to the situation that each one of us is individually facing. True. Are we making grand plans for the next five years? Yeah, probably at some level, we might be making grand plans for the next five years because there are some things that we can say Mm -hmm. going forward is definitely going to be the change. Mm. Uh, But there's a whole amount of uh, stuff that we don't know. And so businesses are uh, are really looking at uh, day by day, month by month, week by week, or, you know, uh, quarter by quarter uh, and not... uh, committing themselves beyond that is what I see when I talk to people in the business sector and the trading sector in particular. So that's, that gives me a perfect, uh, you know, context to ask you this. Let's talk about risk versus uncertainty, you know, and you could uh, elaborate in the context of, uh, you know, international business, international trade. Okay. So um, if you were to try to define these terms, very often they use synonymously. It's, but um, actually, there's a, a very distinct difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to give you a textbook definition, uh, we refer to risk as a randomness that follows an identifiable distribution. Mm-hmm. 
that's what makes it uh, measurable. That's what makes it priceable. That's what makes it predictable. Mm. You can attach probabilities to it and so on and so forth. Uh, quantifiable in many respects. Uncertainty is uh, defined as a randomness that does not fall a discernible distribution. Mm. Uh, so just look at our recent past, uh, the pandemic. Would you classify that as risk or would you classify that as uh, uncertainty? It threw so, in uh, levels of you know uncertainty, which I would say is level three uncertainty. It is, yeah, I mean, nobody, as like I said, planned for the pandemic. Right. And uh, nobody had any sense of probabilities. You know, we know our historical record of uh, pandemics Pandemics, occurring, but nobody imagined 2020 is going to be the year. Mm -hmm. And even when uh, travel began to shut down in early March, uh, the belief was, okay, in two months, three months, it's apparent from government policies around the world, Mm -hmm. in two months, three months, everything will be back to normal. Perhaps because of our experience with SARS, Mm -hmm. where uh, personally, again, and for a lot of other people, life wasn't disrupted. Mm. Uh, but yes, we were a little more hesitant to use the MRT. We were a little more careful when we used a taxi or a bus. Right. Uh, but by and large, life went on. But for the tragic few who suffered the consequences of SARS, it was terrible. Yep. Uh, but pandemic was a whole new thing. So mm. yes, I would put it in the in the in the side of uncertainty. Mm. And this is really, I think, a challenge for businesses. Uh, they can do risk management. They can do any sort of predictions on risk and have, uh, uh, shall we say, plans in place. Mm-hmm. But uh, first of all, recognizing uncertainties of your business and how that uncertainty will affect you and what do you need to do in response to that? That is a whole different challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you go back to 2020, mm-hmm. uh, the focus was not so much on business performance, it was on business continuity. Right. Uh, how do we keep the wheels turning? Right. Uh, and that was the big, uh, shall we say, challenge that they were facing and groping with. Of course, now we have probably gone past that and now we're thinking a little more expansively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when we talk about risk, uh, it's becoming an increasingly sophisticated practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something that many organizations are well-equipped with. Right. Uh, even in the trading side, uh, we understand risk a lot better, both as uh, trading companies as well as banks. Right. Uh, financing trade, we understand trade. We understand uh, how risk is an inseparable part of business. Right. Uh, but when it comes to uncertainty, we, we can be lost, completely true. lost. True. true. So. Uh, uncertainty yeah. is is actually also an inseparable part of out of business, and of course. Um, that's that's one of the things that I teach in my courses. But uh, yeah, because I teach a course on uh, VUCA, uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and managing in that kind of a context. So uncertainty so, must be a big topic for you. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And then we talk about levels of uncertainty and uh, like like all uncertainty is not the same and so on and so forth. So managing uncertainty is is a thing. It's pretty important. Um. So, you know, that also, you know, the the discussion on risk and uncertainty brings us to the uh, related thing. Um, You know, we talked about um, uh, price swings, uh, you know, we we saw that uh, during the pandemic. Otherwise, also, we keep seeing that and we talked about grains and other commodities. So 
what have been the fallouts of these commodity price swings on trade finance and because this has happened you know it's not we don't even have to discuss it uh, only in the context of the pandemic because we know that like you know they they have been occurring time and again in cases where the prices have been on the up and up uh, trade finance lines have been busted mm-hmm. uh, simply because uh, they can't accommodate uh, the same quantum uh, in terms of value mm-hmm. uh but uh, when it goes the other way of course it hits the producers and uh, i guess case in point is africa right uh, when uh, prices for commodities collapsed because there was a decline in consumption mm-hmm. uh, it has usually affected the producing countries mm-hmm. and in many countries uh, in africa uh, commodities is a very significant part of their gdp true Uh, so when they start losing uh, commodity revenues it has an impact economy wide society wide and again that can be very very tragic true uh, so uh, uh, african economies are talking more about intra africa trade uh, they're talking more about value addition domestically before export uh, these are things that uh, have happened for example in asia in asean it has happened absolutely uh in eu of course is really very intensive but um uh developing developed parts of the world that's not an issue but uh, other parts it's uh, it is still a challenge because you have to invite uh, investment flows to be able to engage in value addition and uh, mm-hmm. uh to do domestic production mm-hmm. uh so um uh price swings is a matter of concern to uh people at many quarters mm. because it directly affects livelihoods the poor the individual farmer uh, the individual uh, small processor the trader right uh, so uh, we say traders like volatility mm-hmm. because that's what enables them to make profits so traders theoretically don't like flat markets true because how do you do uh, buy low sell high then right uh, but uh, when you have very significant swings uh, particularly in the commodities business uh, and particularly a lot of the developing countries are commodity producers and exporters mm. uh, the impact can be uh, very very painful true um, because incomes just dramatically shrink right right and and we also saw that you know when the grain prices um, shot up uh, you know some years back um the the reverse was also true right that uh, you know african countries were very significantly affected because you know uh, people couldn't afford the grains and the you know the the millets and the uh, rice and wheat and so on and uh, then uh, the governments also have a budget constraint on how much they can subsidize and so on and so forth yeah again it depends um, uh, even in the shall we say less developed countries or the developing world uh, when it comes to issues like food grains and all that the government tries to step in the local government tries to step in with some subsidies and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh if it's within on the other side if it's if prices are collapsing mm-hmm. uh that is when uh, producers uh, at a small scale level feel the pain uh and uh, at that point putting flow prices might be unaffordable for the mm-hmm, government mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it may not even be feasible 
because of some of the trade agreements that they might have entered into. Right, right. Uh, so yes, we like to see volatility at a certain level, but uh, are we all comfortable with uh, uh, wild swings? Uh, I think that's a question for each one to answer for themselves, but I would think that there are many people who would be very discomforted by by, by very unpredictable uh, uh, swings in prices. And we have seen that in the commodity sector. Why, for at one point, uh, oil was trading below water. Uh, grain was trading at uh, levels that were never seen before. Uh, copper is on the uptrend right now. Right. Uh, so, yeah. There's always somebody who's gaining and somebody who's losing. Right. right. And end consumer is looking for the Goldilocks, uh, you know, the in not too hot, not too cold kind of uh, soups, right? True. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.